Well, what a good way to start into our Christmas season. It doesn't look great in here, so festive and uh, so grateful for all the people that were involved in setting this up yesterday. A lot of work went into that, and so hopefully you're already into a good start to your Christmas season. Well, we're going to spend just uh, two more weeks in Romans, and we'll have a couple weeks uh, pause for Christmas, uh, but this week we're diving into chapter 7 in the book of Romans. If you want to start turning your Bibles there already, we'd love if we could look at this section together. I typically try each week to give different illustrations to help make sense out of difficult subject matters, and if we're all honest with each other, sometimes they work Sometimes a little bit of a stretch, and, uh, and especially for those of you that are in the first service, because a lot of times you're my test audience, and the ones that work, uh, I keep for the second service, and ones that don't, I drop. I remember a couple of weeks ago, I used one about uh, extended lives in a video game. I remember that afternoon thinking to myself, that made absolutely no sense. And, uh, and so thank you for your patience with me, but the good news this, this morning is that I'm not coming up with the illustration from the text. Paul actually uses his own illustration of marriage, so therefore you can't blame me on this this morning. (laughs) So we're going to dive in and look at his illustration this morning and basically addressing how we proceed with this new life of grace, how we proceed under this new life of grace. So you imagine After hundreds of years of rule following, Paul's Jewish audience was desperately trying to make sense out of what this new arrangement under grace looked like. And imagine for them, they're anxious to get this writing and and trying to make sense. How How does this function under this new covenant? How does this work? But truth be told, for many of us that grew up in the church, We've learned a few things about rule following ourselves. We've maybe had some, some, some programming that needs to be undone, some confusion about rules, and maybe those of us that didn't grow up around the church have observed churchgoers, and you've been maybe even driven away from the church because of their confusion about rules. So I think everybody this morning could benefit from Paul's words, where he has a a very effective explanation of where we've come from and where we're going to as it relates to the law. Let me pray for us as we dive in. Dear Lord, we thank you for this text, especially in a world that's so confused about laws and what's going to prevent things from happening and what's going to solve things. We ask that you'd speak to us through this text, that you'd Open our eyes and our understanding to your design, your intention for the law, but your intention for grace for us through Jesus Christ. Pray that you'd speak to us, that you'd be present here in this room, that you'd be glorified by the fact that your people are gathering this morning to study your word, that this all puts the spotlight on you. In Jesus Christ's name I pray, amen. All right, well, we're going to start in chapter 7 and verse 1. It makes sense. Uh, So verse 1 says this, Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law. Stop there just for a moment. You can catch those words, those who know the law. He also refers to them as brothers, basically speaking to believers in that day. But for us present day, that is us. 
This is not, as a follower of Christ, our first dance with the law. We know it very well. I was grateful for there was a woman in the, the church this week that passed on a message from man, Pastor Juan Carlos Ortiz, which is just fun to say. I thought it was interesting that he pointed to the fact that all of us have been or are currently married to Mr. Law. Married to Mr. Law. It only makes sense that we fell for him. He's perfect and very attractive. He says and does all the right things. He's one smooth operator. Originally, you liked how he always challenged you to change. You couldn't sneak anything past him. You were convinced this would be good for you, but things have changed over time. Now, stay with me here, now you're an old couple but he still comes with all of his same expectations and is so critical of every single thing you do. Mr. Law doesn't understand that you are who you are. No matter how hard you try, you just can't seem to change. He has no feelings. Mr. Law has no compassion. It's like you're married to a stone. You'll get that later. Secretly, you have grown to hate him. In fact, you have grown so bitter, you even do things in spite of him. You would rather die than continue in this relationship. Think about that for a moment. Isn't that our experience with the law ourselves? Isn't that exactly what happened with us? At first, it seemed like a good idea. There's all these promises attached. You think of even the verses we memorized as a kid, Joshua 1.8, if you, if you effectively follow the law, then your way is going to be prosperous and successful. Lots of promises attached to the law. It sounded good at first, and there's really nothing wrong with the law. The law isn't the problem. The problem is what? Us. I can't keep it. I can't do this. I can't, I I keep going back as much as my intentions want me to. I can't do this. And I keep going back to the same patterns in my life. The law isn't the problem of the corrupt men and women trying to follow it are. So under the law, Mr. Law, we get frustrated. We get guilt-ridden. We get hardened towards sin and even judgmental towards other in our, others in our response to the law. Something had to give. This relationship couldn't work. So look what happens. He points to this in, in the second part of verse 1. That the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. For a married woman is bound by the law to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive, but if her husband dies, she is free from that law, and if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress can read that at first and you're like what in the world is that talking about is that is that teaching on marriage no 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 you're you're missing it it's pointing to the good news the reality that we've been released from this hopeless relationship with Mr. Law you see that there 
It didn't come, though, the way that you'd think. The law didn't die. Who does it say died? I died. Do you remember we talked about that in Romans 6.3, that the old me was put on the cross with Christ. The old me had to die so that I could be set free from this never-ending, never-satisfying relationship with the law. And when the death occurred, my marriage to the law was no longer binding. Just like if a spouse dies, dies, you you think of this example you see in Scripture he's pointing to. He's saying, in in the same way that if a spouse dies, remember that that promise that you make? Till death do us part, right? Remember that day making that promise with, with my wife in front of a group of people? But here he's saying, in the same way that if a spouse dies, the widow is no longer obligated to their wedding vows. The same is true with us and Mr. Law, no longer obligated to continue that relationship. And the good news doesn't stop there. It also points to the fact that we're free to remarry. It says if her husband dies, she is free from that law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. This is good news. Not only are we broken free out of that hopeless never-ending attempt at meeting the expectations of the law, now we're set free to marry another. Staying with the illustration that he points to. Verse 4, Likewise, my brothers, in other words, in the same way, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may, what? Belong to another. I love those words. To him who has been raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. Do you catch the idea here? What he's saying is you've died to that old relationship. You're no longer bound for it so that you can now have a new relationship with Jesus Christ. It says you belong to another. This is fantastic news. He's the complete opposite of the law. Let's think about that for a moment. Some of the things that separates him, Jesus Christ, from the, from the law. He's one who loved us. You can follow this in your notes. One who loved us even when we were still a mess. He's one who loved us even when we were still a mess. Does that sound like the law? No, the law was constantly riding us to, to fix ourselves, to solve ourselves. And, 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 but no, Romans 5.8 tells us, but God shows his love for us in that while we were what? Still sinners. Christ died for us. Isn't that good news? He didn't wait for us to, to get all, all of our ducks in the line. He didn't wait, us to, uh, wait for us to get everything perfect and tidy. He said, no, I'm meeting you while you're still a mess. Sounds like a much better spouse option. Second thing you'll know about, want to know about him, one that can actually do something about our mistakes. 1 John 1, 7 says, The blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. He cleanses us from all sin. So the, the law, remember, could only point to all of our mistakes, all the ways that we've blown it. It constantly reminded us of that, but it couldn't do anything to solve it. It couldn't do anything. It was only a mirror to our own issues. And But this is different with this new spouse. This new spouse can actually cleanse us, to wash us clean 
from our sin. This is awesome news. One that could not just do, wash us clean, but one that can change us from the inside out. Note takers are loving this this week because you're like, man, I got lots of things to write in. John, this is, this is specifically for you. Lots of, lots of lists. So one that can change us from the inside out. Ezekiel 36, 27. I love this passage. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Isn't that an awesome verse? It's, it's not just saying you need to work harder at this. You need to try more. You need to pursue. You need to get your act together. No, he's saying, I'm putting my spirit inside of you. And he's, what does it say? He's going to cause you to follow my ways, my rules, my guidelines. I'm going to do the work with you. No longer is it just pointing to you. You blew it. You blew it. You're messing up again. It's saying, I'm going to come alongside of you and we'll do this together. Isn't that good news, this relational component to that? My wife uh, enjoys cooking. One of the things I've noticed she really enjoys when I help her cooking. It doesn't happen very often, if I'm honest with myself. But on Thanksgiving, I decided, you know what, I'll, I'll start the day. Any other husbands do this? God just said, I'm going to go, and I'm going to come into the kitchen, and I'm going to ask those words that are like music to a woman's ears, how can I help? How can I help? So, start of the day, I don't always do well with this. Let's be, let's be authentic here, uh, transparent. But that day I came in, I'm in there slicing onions, crying together, laughing together, having a good old time. And you know what was fun about it? It wasn't because I had to do that. It wasn't, and this isn't me patting myself on the shoulder, trust me, I blow it all the time. But, uh, but, but it wasn't because I had to do it. It's because I wanted to. I just wanted to hang out with her. I enjoyed it. We, we accomplished the, I mean, pulling out the junk out of the turkey. I mean, like, there's a, it's, a, it's a crazy process what you go through on Thanksgiving morning. And, and, and stuffing stuff in there, like, it was weird. But it was, <laughs> it, it, was, it was a good thing because in the context of that, it wasn't because I had to. It's because I wanted to. It was the context of relationship. And that's the difference. That's what's happening now, is all of a sudden it's not like all these things I have to do, this, this cumbersome book of, of laws and rules, it's within the context of relationship, and you're like, we're doing this together because it's the best way to live. It's the best way to live. So one that can change us from the inside out. Next thing you'll notice about this new relationship, belonging to another it's one that gives us a life of purpose. You even see it in verse 4 there. It says, in order that we may bear fruit for God. In order that we may bear fruit for God. The, the truth is, I meet so many adult men, adult women, that would just love to have the affirmation of a father. That's a, that's a big deal. It's a lot of people don't even know why, like, why can't I shake that? Like, I'm a, I'm a grown-up. Why do I still long to have the affirmation of a, of a father? Why, why is that? And I can't ever seem, I couldn't ever seem to please him. Well, here we see God's changed that. The heavenly Father has provided a way to create ways for us to bear fruit for God. 
something that's actually pleasing to him, no longer as filthy rags. Remember, that's what our righteousness was before, before him. Now we have the potential to bear fruit, to say, man, I, I, God, I, I heard you like grapes. Here you go. Here's some grapes. I heard you like uh, mangoes. Here's a mango. I don't know. I'm making that up. Uh, but uh, you get the, get the idea. Finally, we have the ability to please God with our actions when it's done out of this love relationship. All of these changes, and in fact, we're going to talk a lot more about that when we get to Romans chapter 8, describes what this new life in the Spirit looks like. But I just wanted a, a couple samples of that, that enough to point us to the fact where we would ask the question, why with this new spouse would I ever consider looking back? Why in the world would I ever look back? Why would I ever be enticed to go back to the old relationship that I've been set free from through my own death? Why would I ever want to go back to that? Paul, I think, points to that in this next last section that we'll address 5 through 12 this morning. Why would I go back? Look at verse 5. It says, For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law we're at work in our members to bear fruit for death. This doesn't sound quite as good as the other fruit. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which, uh, ha- which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit, not in the old way of the written code. What then shall we say? The law is sin by no means. Yet if, if it had not been for the law... I would not have known sin, for I would not have known that it, it, what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, listen to this, seizing an opportunity through the commandment produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Let's pause there for a moment. There's an interesting, I was talking about that this week with Chad, an interesting psychological phenomenon called this Stockholm Syndrome. I don't know if you've ever heard of that before. It's where a hostage or a captive feels empathy and even positive feelings towards their captor. There's a strong emotional bond that forms even in an abusive relationship. This often brings wives back over and over again to an abusive spouse. This Stockholm Syndrome, this idea of being, why is there still that attachment? Why, Why do I keep going back? And here we're, we're seeing is the same thing happens to us as Christ followers. We've been set free from the law. We, we, by, by grace we've been saved. But man, there's such a draw to go back to that captive, isn't there? There's such a draw. Why, why is that? Like maybe, maybe it's a control thing. Okay, uh, I'm tired of that, that, that feeling of not being in control with, with the law. I can control my own, my own destiny. I determine what I do, and I, I'm going to please God on my own. And you're like, why do I go back to that? I think here, 
Paul does an important thing and reminds us of what our captor looked like. Let's not forget the negative impact the law had on my life. Look at some of the things that he points to. I'll walk through them from that section. First thing in verse 5, you see that it aroused the sin in me. Verse 5 literally says that it aroused our sinful passions. The law, if you think about it, has the propensity like reverse psychology. I try this with my kids sometimes, you know, to get them to eat the healthy stuff. You're like, you know what? I really don't want you eating that broccoli right now. Do not you, don't you dare eat that broccoli. And they're like, I kind of want to eat some broccoli right now. <laughs> gotcha. And I uh, like that, that, that whole idea. It's, it's, it's funny with kids a little bit, but my, my son, um, about a, a month back, I was, I was talking to, to Chase and had said a, a, a joke that probably shouldn't have told him. There's a little bit of bathroom humor in it. And afterwards, I kind of was feeling guilty about it. And I even said to him, I said, buddy, I don't want you repeating that to kids at school or at church. And, uh, and, and so, have you guys ever done this? Or anybody else messed up parents? And so I was like, I was like buddy, I said, I don't want to find out that you, that you told that joke to somebody else. And uh, a couple days later, I don't know what made me remember it, I, I said to Chase, I was like, hey, Chase, you, you told some kids at, at school about that joke, didn't you? He's like, he starts welling up a little bit, and he's like, yeah, Dad, I did. I did it, man. I did it. And, uh, and, uh, and I was telling him, I said, well, well son, I said, you, 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 you win on the honesty factor because you, you told me. You lose on the trustworthy factor, and so it's kind of a wash. So we had some grace there in that conversation, but there's something about it. There's something about it in, uh, in us. There's something about when you know something that you're not supposed to do, there's all of a sudden a strange draw to it. Prohibiting a course of action often seems to offer an invitation to pursue it. That's why it says there, sin seizing, in verse 8 and 11, sin seizing an opportunity through the commandments. Like, ah, before the commandments, Satan didn't have anything to appeal to Adam and Eve with. But now that there's this restriction, now it's like, oh, did God really say you shouldn't eat from that? Now there's that draw. There's something. What it is, is it's not, it, it, it appeals to what's already in us, in our sin nature. So here, the first thing that you, reminder of why we wouldn't want to go back is that we're aroused, it aroused the sin in me. Second thing we see in verse 6 is that also it holds me captive. It holds me captive. Verse, verse 6, which held me captive. This idea, and so many of us are held captive by the law, never ever being good enough. The, the outside world looks at the church and they're just like, I mean, that's one of the big things that keeps the misconceptions about the church that keeps, keeps people out. They're like, man, I see how thick that book is. I see how big that is. There's no way I can keep up with all of that. There's no way I can obey all of those rules. Because why? It holds us captive to this never-ending attempt at meeting all of those demands. So, he points to that fact. It holds you captive. Verse 60 also says, it makes you serve out of duty. It talks about under the, the old code. The, the idea there, it says, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. 
That idea of serving out, it's just what I'm supposed to do. I don't know why. There's no relationship here. I just do it because I'm told to do it. Anybody else hate rules like that? Things that you're like, there's no, no explanation for the reason for it. It's just become because the man tells me to do it. I've got to do it. I've got to. I was, uh, my family goes on vacation to Ocean City, New Jersey, and uh, I've done it for a lot of years. And one of the things we've noticed over the years is the lifeguards have gotten like more and more uptight. Like it, it drives me crazy. So the, unlike Zuma Beach, which is nice, they get, if you're, if you're getting ripped out in a rip current, maybe they'll come get you. But, uh, <laughs> but, but, but there in Ocean City, they've got a flag on the right, a flag on the left, and you've got to stay in this 12 foot space. And don't you even think about going in past your waist, you know, because that's putting lives on the line. And so we're in there this past summer, and again, the, there's the lifeguard blowing the whistle. He's on this little high tower fitting uh, and, and, and blowing, <laughs> blowing whistles at us and saying, come on in, you're past your way. You're like, are you kidding? Are we in a lake or the ocean? And, and so you can see this gets me fired up even talking about it. <laughs> there, there's something about us that doesn't like the idea of rules just because. Just do it because. There's no, no explanation, no context of relationship. It doesn't even make sense. We don't even want to try to figure out why it makes sense because that's living by the code. That's living by the code. It makes me serve out of duty. What are some other things that the law does? Verse 7, it reveals how bad I am. How many of you like to be around people that are, are constantly telling you all the ways you blow it? Anybody like that? Anybody get a little bit worn out uh, by that? Somebody that's like, man, they're always pointing out some other way or some flaw or some shortcoming. You're like, this is exhausting to me. But that's what that relationship was like. That's what the law was like. It says, I would not, in verse 7, it says, I would not have known. I wouldn't have known of some of my sins, but it kept pointing the flashlight on it. The law puts a name to our sin. Like this thought, like a doctor with a diagnosis. You were sick before the diagnosis. The doctor just named it. And that's what the law does. It does that. The law not only reveals our evil deeds, but also, we see in this section, are also our attitudes. That's the scary thing is we're not, we're not just messed up in the fact of the things we don't do. We're also messed up, he points out, covetousness. That's one that's not a, necessarily an action. That's something that's going on internally. So you're like, oh, shoot, I'm even more messed up than I thought. It's not just the things I have to do and not do. It's stuff going on inside of me. When I see somebody's nice possession, I'm like, oh, that'd be really nice to live in that house. Oh, that'd be really nice to have that car. Oh, that'd be really nice to have that. What you fill in the blank, what is it for you? That's what he's saying is the law revealed all of that to us. It, it, it pointed out things we didn't even know we had. And I love it that, that Paul isn't leaving himself outside of the situation here. If you notice in these verses, he refers to all of these effects on him. He had been personally impacted by this. I, in me, I was once alive. I died. It deceived me. It killed me. All of these things pointing out that he knew the destructive nature of a relationship with Mr. Law firsthand. 
He had been down that road himself. He had, he, he had seen that. And really, if we're honest with ourselves, aren't we in the same boat? Are we in the same boat? We, we know what it's like to slip back into just law-keeping with no heart behind it. We know what it looks like to stand in a room like this and kind of mouth out words, but you're not even really thinking about what you're saying when we sing songs. We all know what it looks like to just do things because we're supposed to. The relationship drifts and we go back to the marriage with the law. Doesn't make any sense. Last thing we'll point to, actually two more. It also condemns me and brings death. Verse 9 says, sin came alive and I died. We don't understand the power of sin in our lives, the ability for it to destroy us. Like this quote by N.T. Wright, it says, describing sin, it is bent on spoiling the world God made, the humans who reflect his image, and the chosen people called to be the agents of redemption. It wants to destroy everything around us. It only brings death been interesting to watch on the news and in Facebook and all the dialogues this last week about how do we stop all the violence? How do we, how do we stop all of the killing? Like, what, how do we fix this mess? Have you guys seen, have you been a part of this? Like, is it, is it, do we, do we need more Mr. Law? Do we need more Mr. Law? Is that going to fix it? What I haven't seen is anyone Bring up the point, what if it's an internal job? What if the problem is inside? What if the problem is the fact that God's been taken out of our society and the morality is absent because you don't have the source of morality there? You know, like the, it, it makes no sense that nobody's asking that question because sin, when it's left to its own devices, what does it do? It brings death. It also doesn't deliver. It didn't bring the promised life. Look in verse 10. Paul's speaking from experience. Promised life proved to be death to me. Proved to be death to, to me. How, my question for us this morning, how has rule following brought death to you? How has rule following brought death to you? Some of us, so sick and tired of just trying harder. Anybody get to that place where you're like, oh, if it's one more thing I need to, to fix or solve. The positive thing about the law, because it points out here in verse 12, like it's, the law is not the problem. The law is a, a perfect and an awesome thing. The law, and don't, don't hear me saying that the law is the problem. The problem, it's an inside job. The problem is within we can't keep it because we're broken. And the good news of the law is the only hope and the purpose of the law was to bring us to the point where we come to the conclusion, I can't do it. I can't solve this. I can't fix this. I am broken beyond repair. And that's the good news is that brings us to that point and it says, man, so because of that, don't stay married to it. Because of that, the marriage of Mr. Law didn't work. My broken, flesh my broken flesh failed. Let this new husband pick you up, encourage you, 
of his everlasting love, remind you of your new identity, not condemning you, but empowering you to walk in his ways. That's the, the, the new relationship that's offered. He, he says, I want to do this with you. I think a lot of people are confused with Jesus' words when he was leaving you. He said, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to leave you with a rule book of things to follow. Is that what he said when he left? He said, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to leave you with this really thick book of things to follow. That's absolutely not what he said. What what did he say he was going to do? Instead, he says, I'm not going to leave you as an orphan. I'll leave you with my spirit inside of you to lead you. And direct you, not more rules to be married to. So there's our challenge. Do do we follow suit? Do we follow this idea of a Stockholm Syndrome and go back to our old captive? Do we head back? Okay, here we go again. I, I, I would propose, don't do it. Why would you look back? Why would you look back and try to, 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 to move back to it? But here's the dangerous thing. We already pointed to this fact. The law is not dead. He's a widower. I like this from this message. He's a widower and looking for a girlfriend. He's a widower and looking for a girlfriend. And where do you find a great spouse? In the church, right? We all know that. Like, where are you going to meet somebody? Somebody of quality, you know, you're going to head for the church. Well, the law is the same. He's a widower, and he's, he's got his smooth action, man. He's, he's looking good. He's got the eyebrows back. He's, re- he's ready to go. He's showing up at the church and making this appeal to each one of us. But here's the reminder, the reminder that every single one of us needs to remember. We are taken. We're taken. We're no longer available. We're married and we're not married to a stone. We've been released, and we belong to another. Let me pray for us. God, I thank you for this passage, for this text. It's a beautiful reminder for us to not slip back into the old ways, to not slip back to rule-keeping and law-following with no heart and relationship anywhere to be seen. You want so much more for us. You want to be in a relationship with us. Emmanuel says that it was God with us. God, I pray that you do a work on us, that we'd start to recognize clues and signs of heading back to that old marriage, that we'd catch it before it happens, that we'd be diligent to stay walking in the Spirit not in the old marriage to Mr. Law. You know, we can only do that with your help. God, bring us an awareness to our propensity to head back. Bring us awareness when we're in that spot. Refresh us. Renew us. Even going into this Christmas season, God, I ask that you'd meet us in a fresh and real way. Pray this in the strong name of Jesus Christ, our new spouse. Amen. Let's live in that new relationship this week going into this Christmas season. I pray you have a wonderful week in the Lord. God bless you.